0: Spencer, we are in the first week of the Tour de France, which means you are busy, busy, busy posting all these stories to velonews.com. In fact, I'm sure you're so busy, you don't have time to even ride your bike, right? No, Fred, actually, I figured out a way to do
1: it this year. In years past, I've had to just sit out all of July with all this work, but I've got a new Cyclops Hammer indoor trainer, so I can ride day or night, anytime. I can get on Zwift, get on Ruby, all the virtual training apps. This is a direct drive trainer, so it's super quiet. That means there's no tire rubbing on a drum, annoying your neighbors downstairs, or anything like that. Super quiet, super convenient, uh, and uh, it's just a great way to stay fit.
0: Yeah, you know, riding the trainer, I feel like in the past was loud, cumbersome, heavy, and the Cyclops trainers, uh, namely the Hammer, man they really overcome a lot of the hurdles associated with it and you know Spencer Cyclops part of the Saris family of companies based in Wisconsin they're a company that gives a lot of money to bike advocacy over hundred thousand dollars every year because Saris is a company that believes in having safe roads for all of us so thanks to Saris and Cyclops for sponsoring this week's episode of the Vell News podcast let's get on with the show all right, you're listening to the Velo News Podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer, Editor-in-Chief of Velo News, joined today by Spencer Paulson. Hello, Spencer. Hey, Fred. Here I am. We are here at the Velo News Home Offices in Boulder, Colorado. We're giving a break to the boys on the ground in France for an afternoon. Uh, they have been doing the podcast up until this point, but we're going to let them retreat, go have a nice meal at the Buffalo Grill, maybe Ooh. have a delicious baguette in a bag or two, drink some <laughs> cheap... French wine and try to go to bed early because we're only, we're, we're like six days into the Tour de France and already I'm, 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 Feels sensing, like 16. I'm sensing a little fatigue from the dudes on the ground. You know, they've been, they've been hitting it hard, doing a lot of interviews and stuff like that. But, uh, you well, know, the social media posts, like their, their Facebook updates have stopped. I feel like that's sort Ooh, of sign number one that, that you're getting tired.
1: Warning sign. Good thing you're heading over there on Sunday to give them a little re- relief. Yeah. A little relief pitcher action.
0: We're going to do a little tag team. I'm tagging in Dane. He's tagging out. Uh, Hoodie actually posted a photo of, of his hotel room from one of the first nights. And it looked like a closet? No, it looked like a cabin Prison in cell? the woods. Cabin in the woods. Prison cell? Oh, cabin Real in the woods. rustic. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you
1: really want to aim for the chateau look.
0: The, now, that's I, a
1: good sign. But if you're, yeah. yeah.
0: I told him it was a good job. He was adhering to the strict Villeneuve budget for yeah, this we, uh, year's tour de France. Yeah. Putting your money into good work, subscribers. Uh, anyway, we have a great podcast today. We're going to talk about all the action that happened on today, Thursday's stage six, which finished up the Mur de Bretagne. Bretagne. Uh, we're going to have some interviews with some of the, the uh, protagonists today, winner Dan Martin. We have Quick Steps' Patrick Lefebvre. We're going to uh, also talk about Sunday's upcoming stage to Roubaix because this is one of the marquee stages that we've been talking about for the last few months because it contains 15 sectors of real deal pave brutal not that ceremonial pave stuff that uh you know you might find like downtown in some town in in, like the midwest boulder yeah excuse me no this is a real cobblestone stuff and it's just guaranteed to throw some chaos out there uh and, and we're gonna just have lots of takes you know we're not on the ground but we are watching along and you and i spencer i can see you over there you're just full to the brim. Oh yeah, with takes. Actually, let's give the listeners a little little taste. You got a take for me? Take right off the top. Yeah, my take. Uh, Roman
1: Bourdais, most overrated GC wow. contender. Wow. Totally overrated. Wow. He just was lucky to get on the podium the last two years. Jeez. Wow. So he'll be he'll he should be happy with the top
0: five this year. Just melting my face with hot takes. So that's what you can expect throughout the show. So Spencer. <laughs> Before we get into it, you know, before stage six, I think we had all been looking at Roman Bardet and Tom Dumoulin as the two GC riders up to this point of this year's Tour de France who had not suffered some terrible, awful calamity, crash, flat tire, bad team time trial, lightning bolt, striping them out of the sky, something like that. And then what happened today I think they they literally crashed into each other. Or there was a touch of wheels between both of them, and both of them suffered mechanical calamities. Bardet had to get on his teammate's bike. Dumoulin had to do a bike change and chased back on the team car. And um, the whole ordeal really just told me that, like, there's no one who's getting out of this Tour de France unscathed.
1: Yeah. Hit the reset button. Yeah, and it's... um... You hate to see mishaps for the GC contenders, but it's nice now to say that pretty much all of them have had some sort of mishap, whether it's a crash, a mechanical, something that held them up in the finale of one of the stages in this first six days of racing. Uh, And, you know, stage six certainly had plenty of wild stuff going on, even from the early goings, about 100 kilometers to go. Got into a crosswind section and quick step just doing normal quick step stuff strung out the bunch, guttered everyone. There was a pretty significant gap for maybe 20, 30 kilometers of racing where Nairo Quintana was off the back, Uh, Primoz Roglic, who I guess is a GC contender, maybe. He was off the back. Lotto and El Jumbo had to chase really hard for him. I guess they think he's a contender. Um, It all came back together. And then this Dumoulin, And uh, Bardet crash or or whatever it was, that happened maybe about 10K to go. And that was pretty much the worst possible time for that to happen because we had these narrow roads going in the Mir de Breton.
0: Yeah, and it happened just as Team Sky... Put its domestiques on the front Oh, and really mysterious, yeah. They, but they really lit it up, like time for a waiter race debate. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah nah, the, we yeah. hate that debate. That debate, that debate sucks. They were race, going always race, yeah,
0: always race, always especially four kid goes, Sorry, yeah, Tom Dumoulin. Uh, they put Suck their it up. they put their domestiques on the front and really whipped up the pace at a level where I was like. Do they know something? I don't know. Mm. Is Garrett Thomas or Chris Froome on incredible form today? Are these guys just going to light it up going up the Mur de Bretagne? Uh, they they did not.
1: Well, not really.
0: No. They got to the base of the climb, and then Daniel Oz took a big pull. Julian Alphilippe was in there. The group really whittled down. And then just before the 1K to go sign, it was Dan Martin who got out of the saddle, got in the right gear. He had a very high cadence going. And just stomped away from the field. Looked like uh, Garrett Thomas tried to keep him in check. That didn't happen. He pulled off. Richie Port took a pull. I like how Garrett Thomas's post-race quote was all like, "Oh, I was gonna chase
1: him, but then I saw everyone was on my wheel, so I decided not to. Yeah, like I'll just save it for another day." Yeah. It's like, okay, sure, buddy. Yeah, all right. Yeah. yeah. Like, Sorry, Garrett Thomas. <laughs> you're not going with Dan
0: Martin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Dan Martin did what he did, which was like. He looks kind of like a praying mantis. He's like a.
1: I've heard. I think the British commentators on Eurosport or something say he's like a like a chicken pecking after um, little pieces of feed on the ground. You know? Yeah,
0: it's not the most aesthetically, aesthetically pleasing attacking Ooh, style.
1: Real quick, is it more or less aesthetically pleasing than Chris Froome? Oh man, that's Ooh. brutal. I'd say I'd
0: actually say more. Because More? he's out of the saddle, mm. the bike is rocking back and forth, it's just very jarring. But yeah. he does appear to put lots of power into the pedal. so he got his big Less gap. elbows involved. Yeah, less elbows. I
1: think I agree with you.
0: So Martin gets his gap, and then the gap starts coming down, and it's uh, Pierre Latour from Agé Désert, who uh-huh. for some reason was not back there helping Robert Oh, Bartai. maybe his radio was broken. Whoops, didn't hear. Yeah. <laughs> he gave chase, came up just a little bit short, and Dan Martin righted the wrong from 2015 when he was second place on the Mur de Britannia Daniel. And won the stage. And this was a pretty important result oh, for Dan Martin. He was thirsty, super thirsty.
1: It's been five years since he won a tour stage. And how long has it been since that uh, team franchise has won a tour stage?
0: So I thought it was uh, I thought it was eight years, but actually it was 2015. They won a stage in 2015 with Ruben Plaza.
1: Oh, yeah, I remember that
0: one. Not. Yeah. So Dan Martin... This is a big win for him because he has struggled famously throughout 2018. You know, UAE, Emirates brought him on to be its GC leader for the tour and then to also be its big card to play at the Ardennes. And Martin was just a bummer at the Ardennes. Yeah. You know, he All got caught trouble. behind crashes, yeah. flat tires. And in recent weeks, he started to talk publicly about that period and basically said that he because he, he was his team leader, he put a tremendous amount of pressure on himself. Kind of took the fun out of cycling because he just knew that everyone was looking at him. And uh, the key to him coming back and rebounding was a little good old FUN fun. Okay, there you go. Yeah. So next time you're having a bad time around the yeah, villain's office. just have a little more fun. Just click that uh, gear into the FUN mode. It's as simple as having fun. Uh, and have some fun. So let's uh, let's hear from Dan Martin. Our uh, main man, Dane Cash, caught up with him at the finish line to get a couple quotes. Uh, so here is Dan Martin talking about his win.
2: Uh, Dan, you said the other day that uh, you weren't really sure if you were still a, a punchy rider of the past and uh, you weren't sure about the stage finish. Obviously, it worked out pretty well today. Uh, we you a bit surprised? I think the stage being so difficult, it definitely helped me. But uh, it's all I always knew it was a, it was a type of... Effort that comes naturally to me, but um, yeah, I even surprised myself there at the finish. You know, I, with the headwind, I didn't know it was going to be possible or not. Especially the first time up, it felt really on the wheel. It felt pretty easy. It was like a, I didn't know how strong the wind was, but obviously there was a stall in the action in the last climb and uh, just a slight slowing down, and I, I saw the opportunity did think it was a little bit too early but I had to try you know and once I got a gap obviously I didn't run once just kept going to the line and in that last couple hundred meters uh did you kind of start to believe a little bit not until 100 meters to go I just wanted to keep going all the way to the line you know and partly for time but partly just to uh, I've been picked on the line a couple of times so just go just keep the pressure on all the way to the line especially with that headwind you could just there was no uh, no easing back at all
3: was the difference between yesterday? Uh, was the difference between today and yesterday that you took the initiative because yesterday you were sort of wondering and umming and airing in, in the
2: last four hundred meters. A bit of a di- completely different finish, you know. It's kind of I knew uh, I needed to was a lot, like obviously a lot less technical, so it's more about the legs. And uh, I saw the gap and then I saw the opportunity and just, yeah, we went for it. And it's really I didn't look back until about five hundred meters to go. And then I looked, then I looked and saw a gap. I could feel there wasn't anybody close to me. Just feel it, but. Yeah, I had no idea how close the group was, but uh, yeah, obviously, I just kept going all the way to
0: the line. Yeah, I mean, he definitely seemed happy. I, what I do like about Dan Martin is he always seems to be fairly candid at the finish line when he's talking about these results. Um, so the big loser to me, Spencer, on this day, other than Dumoulin and Bardet, was actually Quick Step, because Quick Step put a tremendous amount of effort into today's stage. I oh mean, man! Yeah, like you said, from the sp- get go, they split up the field. And you could tell that it was all about setting up Julien Alaphilippe, Alaphilippe. their puncheur, puncheur. Um French spindly climber who's not necessarily a grand tour guy but can excel in Ardennes-style races. Mm. You know, Alaphilippe just didn't really have it. He had good positioning. He was second wheel on the first ramp of the climb. But, you know, once Martin surged, he was pretty far back, He ended up fourth on the day. Yeah, he did. But I don't know. I mean, what do we make of Quick Quick Step's tactic and the failure of Alaphilippe?
1: Yeah, I really think Quick Step they 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 screwed the pooch on this one. If They did so much work early on, I gotta think that they burnt off some of their workers that could have potentially helped Alaphilippe in the finale. I mean, why was it all on quick step to chase in this stage? Yeah, they were favorites, but I mean, look at BMC Racing. Wouldn't they love to have Greg Van Avermet win this stage, or at least make sure that he's keeping that yellow jersey? Uh, you know, look at uh, Bora Hansgrohe. They certainly looked like they wanted to have Peter Sagan involved in that sprint. He ended up eighth, so, you know, not bad, but there's plenty of other teams that should have been involved in this chase and I don't know why Quick Step didn't make a little more effort to force them to get involved especially in the early going because I you know I feel like if Alaphilippe had just a little more support a little better positioning in that final if you didn't have to surf wheels if you didn't have to rely on for instance Daniel Oss winding up the pace at the bottom I mean ah, just for me it's like it seems like a missed opportunity uh, and uh, it's just kind of it makes me wonder like what is Alaphilippe's role on this team is he actually their guy for a day like this i mean
0: yeah all right i'm going to come in with my my first hot take here see uh, queuing up this hot I, take i could tell you were feeling it yeah i'm uh i'm i'm hitting the trigger on the flamethrower here let's go uh Philippe does not belong on quickstep i don't think he is uh, in the style and uh, make of this team. Quick step is a team that has made its bones off sprints and cobblestone, sprints and cobblestones in the occasional Ardennes classic. But Alaphilippe, he is, he's a tweener, man. He's like good for one week stage races. He can win uphill finishes. Kind of, he can hunt for stages, but he's not a pure sprinter. And honestly, it just seems like he sometimes lacks that punch. He's like, He's like not, not as fast as Valverde and not as fast as Dan Martin. Valverde light. Yeah. And so the whole thing has me wonder what's what's the future for Jul- Julian Alaphilippe? What type of racing does he pursue? He's obviously talented. I mean, he's one, you know, top one of the top riders in the world, but is he a guy who continues to target Um, Are Den's races or is he a guy who tries to work on his time trialing, tries to work on his endurance and maybe tries to turn himself into a stage racer at this point?
1: Yeah, let me defend Julian Alaphilippe for a second here. He's 26 years old. I mean, I know that some guys like Peter Sagan have blasted into these great careers at very young ages, but at 26, Alaphilippe still has lots and lots of time to develop. Uh, he's got another year of a quick step after this. So I say, let's see how it goes and let's see how he develops. It's, you know, these types of climber races, I think that a guy like Alaphilippe will only get better as he gets into his early 30s. And who knows, he's could he could be the guy who's just sweeping all the Ardennes Valverde style when it's like, uh, you know, 2022 or something like that.
0: Yeah, I just feel like for a team like Quickstep, when resources are limited and they have this star like Gaviria and they have the, you know, requirements to be stars on the cobblestones if eh, at some point Alaphilippe just becomes kind of the ugly duckling. And hmm. maybe maybe a French team gobbles him away. I could see that. I'd love to see Alaphilippe run for a French team because, yeah, if you're, if you're Patrick Lefebvre and you're, you know, you have this guy who's on the cusp of being good at the hilly races or stage races, and then you're going to have to, give resources towards him, as opposed to giving resources towards Gaviria or even uh, youngles or someone of that model. It's like, uh, I don't know, what do you do? Well, our guys actually caught up with Lefebvre to talk about the day and the tactic of the day. So let's check in with Quick Steps' main boss, Patrick Lefebvre. You guys were uh,
4: riding for Alaphilippe.
5: What were they saying in the bus? Oh a little bit disappointed because uh, we tried to make an echelon. We did it effectively and was some damage but uh, the crosswind was not long enough to, to do more of it but uh, I think a lot of riders were in panic this. <laughs> but then in the end um, yeah we had no, no riders left it's normal on this finish and I had the impression that for van Abman was a good thing that uh, some guys were away to protect yellow, if he couldn't win and uh, yeah Dan did a big number to, to go one kilometer for the finish yeah, with, long, his, long jump, eh? with his headwind and then Latour and then on the last three hundred meters I think um, Valverde attacked and, and Julien was fourth if he had uh, third he became on two seconds but mm. uh, to be honest I think they didn't have really the legs to win mm. no neither Philippe, Philippe uh, He said, had a bad moment on the very steep uh, piece and could not recover anymore. It's
4: been a great start for the team. Two wins with uh, Gaviria, Gibeo, going well. And uh, you guys have to be happy with how the race has started.
5: Yeah, of course. Even uh, we had a little bit of bad luck because Gaviria crashed the second day where he could win as well. Now, at the time trial, we blew each other up. Mm. And to reorganize, I think we lost... 15 seconds and we arrive at 7, so we cannot complain we are still with uh, 3 guys in 7, first of the, of course, the next 2 days I don't think uh, a lot of will change, but we have 6, 5 and 4 in the classification I think uh, other teams have worse.
4: <laughs> you, you guys brought this kind of uh, super team to this tour what a, what a great team you guys have someone who wants for every terrain.
5: We have a, a, a great team and we did a great job the whole year and we take our person, also, uh, responsibility the whole tour because we're quite alone mm. to work. and The guys become nervous for this. Hey
4: and then for Sunday? The oh, for Sunday,
5: day. yeah, well, some of your colleagues uh, asked this morning when we wanted to take yellow today, but they say you can you can make 10 plants, but if you don't have the legs... Uh, nothing's gonna happen. Nothing's gonna happen, and it's not because that's not Paris-Roubaix. Eh? It's only a stage in the tour some cobbles and it's totally approach is totally different
4: how is it different
5: well paris robert is 265 kilometers you live one week uh, or more more than one week mentally to there and now the guys are quite tired already after a week
4: yeah of course it's a uh, all specialist and robe. and here you have a mixed peloton with little skinny colombians uh, yeah but you remember
5: the last cover states nibali was even second i think so Everybody will be pretty nervous, and it will be very important to take the covers in the front. And, uh, and then we will see what happens. We have a lot of specialists. But uh, it's with bit of a mixed feeling. We, we, we have to try to protect Bob, not to lose time. And the guys who can win, like Lampard, Tepstra, it's like, can they go for the win or have to, have to look to... Anyway, we don't have the yellow, so we don't have to protect the yellow yet.
4: And how is that decision made? Is that a race day decision if Terpstra and uh, Yves get Well, to in, the, so? in the
5: morning you have some tactics, but then the tactics can change in the race. Yeah. It depends on the, the development of the race. If you see today, Dumoulin had to change bike with a, with a teammate 50 seconds, but that 30 seconds is not even cold, so mm. uh, Sunday everything can happen.
4: Do you think the uh, Pavé should be in the Tour? Do you think it's fair that these uh, little GC guys even have to race those?
5: I think if you ask that the sprinters why there are these uh, the steep hills in the Tour, <laughs> I think they will answer, it's okay for that. It's part of racing, right? It's part of racing, if you want and to be a complete rider, you have to uh, to try to eat the cones as well.
4: If uh, one of you guys doesn't win Sunday, who, who's the winner, do
5: you think? Well, there are a lot of uh, specialists. Don't forget, Sagan is the winner of paris Robert Van Avermaet last year, there's uh, several guys who are able to make uh, a big result. It should be a big show. Mm. It should be a big spectacle, that's for okay. sure. Thanks, Patrick. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, if Alain Philippe wins the stage of the Tour de France, my take is rendered completely moot. Mm. And, um, you know, everyone can just get at me on Twitter, which you've been doing all week uh, as is.
1: Mm. Uh, More more on that in a sec. Yeah.
0: Moving on, uh, we have to talk about Tom Dumoulin. So, again, Tom Dumoulin had skated through the first six days of this Tour de France pretty much scot-free, had a great team time trial. He survived the crashes on day one. He was in great positioning. And then all of a sudden, this... Uh, touch of wheels happens with Bardet, and he's forced to do a bike change. And Spencer, what happened after that?
1: Yeah, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a gong show. You know, he had to get a new front wheel from one of his teammates. A couple guys dropped back: Chad Haga. I think Nikias Aren, one of, the... and then also. I forget which of their riders it was, but it's the guy who's in the white leaders. jersey.
0: Soren Crow Anderson.
1: Oh, Soren Crow Anderson. How could I forget? He's the leader of the white uh, Best Young Riders jersey, and he dropped back to help Dumoulin up the final climb, even knowing that it would sacrifice some of his chances of defending that jersey. And all that effort still came to naught because he lost time at the finish and insult to injury, 20 second penalty from the jury for drafting off the team car, which I think is ridiculous. How the heck is Tom Dumoulin, who's like six foot a million? going to get any sort of draft off a mini. Like, their team cars are minis. There's no way you get a draft off that when you're as tall as Tom Dumoulin. That's that's just, it's a waste of time.
0: Yeah, unfortunately for Dumoulin, he decided to draft off the team car right in front of the TV cameras. I was watching the NBC Sports broadcast, and it was like, okay, there there he is. Pretty flagrant. Well, it's just really hard to get around it when the TV camera's there. Because, look, here's the thing. Drafting off the team car happens all the time in fact crashes flat tires like it's pretty standard not a big uh, deal for what goes on i think the infraction that occurred was that it was a so blatant and then came at such a time when you know it was the only way to get back to critical time in the race critical timing but here's my take um it was a smart idea it was a good gamble yeah he got caught and dinged 20 seconds but I think that he probably would have lost more time had he not gotten on the back of that yeah, car.
1: Probably would have lost more than 20 seconds. And who the heck knows which camera the producer is going to cut to at any given moment in the bike race. There's just a lot of cameras out there.
0: Yeah. And you know what? It's for, for those people who are going to want to um, chastise him again. Riding off the team car is something that people do all the time, but B, you know, it's not like he was holding onto the car. It's He's not still, like, got, still got a pedal. Yeah, it's not like he was doing the stickiest of sticky bottles. No, a sticky icky. Yeah, I mean, if he was doing a Vincenzo Nibbly and holding onto the side of the car. <laughs> yeah,
1: oh, you want to see how to cheat, Tom? Let's check this out. Yeah, <laughs>
0: that's one thing, but just riding off the back of the car. Ah, I have less problem with it. Me too. Um, but it's unfortunate now because he is now, you know, he lost 52 seconds or so time gap-wise. At the finish, yeah. Plus the 20 seconds. Yeah. So now he's over a minute 10 back, which puts him kind of in the same territory as Chris Froome.
1: Yeah, again, the reset button got hit there, you know?
0: Yeah, and, you know, considering he's a guy who won the Giro two years ago by seconds, Mm. the time gap like that, I'm starting to wonder if at some point in this year's Tour de France we're going to look back to this chaotic first week. And and be able to say like well, well you know caveat caveat had it not been for that crash on day one or that untimely touch of a wheels on stage six like could so and so be in the lead? Well yeah I mean that's what we were saying about Nairo
1: Quintana at, at the end of the uh, the 2016 tour when he lost all that time in the early flat stages if I recall correctly and. uh yeah, I, I mean, on the, a lot of these climbs, I think it, things get pretty well neutralized by the pace.
0: Mm, breaking, breaking news here. Seems like, so, so at the finish line, Tom Dumoulin's Sunweb team apparently was super chapped about this whole thing. Yeah, I and would be. And they closed up shop, did not talk to reporters. There were many reporters there. Uh, director Sportives, writers, everyone just kind of bailed out and took off, which, understandable. So they just put out a very short uh, statement. Terse. The, the rules have been applied, and we won't protest. We just need to accept the penalty. The UCI needs to be sure that the rules are applied. Okay. I mean, that's pretty, you know, milk toast. Yeah, that's... It's not exactly <laughs> Brailsford no. saying that no, he, uh, no David Lapartient is a French mayor who doesn't yeah. know what he's doing. <laughs> well, we'll see how Dumoulin holds up. I mean,
1: two grand tours in a row. Right? Yeah. I think from the get-go, he's already uh, facing an unknown challenge.
0: Uh, so... Spencer, we you know we've said how all these um, five star favorites have all had some type of calamity. You know the man who has pretty much skated through scot free up to this point.
1: Uh, let's see. I I don't know. I'm trying to think of a I'm trying to think of a favorite. Let's see here. Is it um? Oh, is it is it Adam Yates or no. is it uh, stage one? Um, is it uh, uh, no?
0: Who is it? Well, Spencer. Oh, Balcomolima. It's not Balcomolima. Oh, Oh, jeez. It's Garrett Thomas. Oh, yes. Sky's number two man. His uh, plan B backup option. B plus. Plan B plus is Garrett Thomas. And right now, Garrett Thomas, uh, he got some bonuses on today's stage, which moved him into second place. And you know, if you look at maybe not necessarily the most elite. Group of favorites, but sort of tier one plus tier two favorites. Garrett Thomas is the best place by all of them by a long shot. TJ's third. TJ's third. I think he might be tier three. Uh, But Garrett Thomas is in the perfect position right now to win the Tour de France. And I wrote about this this week Mm. uh, a little take I had that I put out into the internets um, in which I said that Garrett Thomas should go rogue. Drop Chris Froome, seize control of Team Sky, and go win the gosh darn Tour de France. Mutiny on the bounty situation. Right now, he's in the perfect position to do so. Chris Froome has already lost about a minute. Garen Thomas is two seconds back. He is a great time trialist. He's shown he is climbing very well this year by winning the Dauphiné. And I just feel like he's a guy who has all the skills that if he could ever put it together and be given that opportunity, he could win the Tour de France. Tell me I'm stupid. Tell me I'm dumb. Be like everyone on Twitter. Tell me I'm wrong.
1: Yeah, people were not so so excited about this take on Twitter. Although I will say, Fred, that I put out a little poll to see what they thought about it. And actually, a lot of them were were getting into the hashtag FreeGarant movement that we're going to start. Hashtag FreeGarant, that's going to be the next hot thing. It's sort of like land I remember yeah, that.
0: Yeah, Garant Thomas, man. Yeah. Let him ride on his own. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, are you going to tell me I'm wrong? Uh, yeah, I think I will. Okay, so, let's hear it.
1: So it's the curse of the team Sky Domestique. These guys are never going to win Grand Tours. Richie Porte, Garrett Thomas, Mika Landa, no. None of them are going to win Grand Tours. They just, they don't they don't have what it takes to be in that spotlight, and the leader's jersey, in that role, that just you need to be ice cold for that sort of thing. And Garen Thomas, yes, he's a pretty good climber. Yes, he's a good pretty good time trialist. He... He's he's the type of guy who always has one really bad day. And uh, sometimes it's a crash. Sometimes he gets dropped. But I just don't see it happening. Great rider, but um, more of a one-week guy.
0: Yeah, you know, we've definitely seen Garen Thomas be given uh, skies leadership before at the Giro. And um, he had some crashes, and he had some bad things happen to him. But still, I, you know, it's just one of these things where Garen Thomas... He's a great pursuit rider, Olympic champion in the pursuit, so that means he can time trial. Um, He's great on the cobblestones. I think he won E3 Harlbecka or Dwar's. Um, And this year's tour route has all these cobblestones. So I I just, I got to feel like if I were Team Sky, I would maybe not so secretly be saying, you know, Garen Thomas, um, go go ride for yourself on the cobblestone stage and let's see what comes of it. I will say one thing about this
1: cobblestone stage. We're going to get into it in a sec here, stage nine. Uh, we'll talk about that more. But what I will say is this, when you're on the stones, it's, there's not a lot of teamwork that can happen. You, it's a sort of a fight for survival. And, yeah, I think as an E3 Harlbecker winner, as a guy who used to be kind of a classics guy, he, he does have the edge over a So we'll see what happens.
0: Um, I, I also wonder if his window of opportunity is closing. He's 33, same age as Chris Froome. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sky have some of these really strong youngsters coming up, and Egan Barnall, Theo Gaginhardt. Uh, the transfer market is always um, a place where Sky could pick up other talent. And so, you know, Garen Thomas, this is his opportunity, this is what I wrote about my column, to basically try and join the elite club of Tour de France winners, or at the very least, give it a go. That's the one thing that I wonder about is it's like, up until this point, as a tour rider, he's never really given it a go because he's always been working for Froome. So we've given the opportunity to do something for himself at the tour. Could he actually do it? You know,
1: my, my solution to this problem is... What's that? He should join Team Step, yeah. and then he can commiserate with Julian Al-Philippe on being a kind of in-betweener guy who's not really a specialist in anything. Okay. I can see that. Yeah.
0: Well, I do wonder I if... he speaks French. Yeah, he's been rumored to uh, be signing, you know, renewing his deal with time, with Team Sky. Right, I don't think
1: he's going to leave Team Sky.
0: No, but I wonder if, uh, I don't know, any teams out there would be able to wrestle him away with guarantees of Tour de France leadership in the future. Mm-hmm. Or if it really is just about being For Fortunio
1: Samsex not looking so great with old Warren Barghie these days. <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, so we had uh, our reporters catch up with Garen Thomas before the start of the race, him talking about his form and his ambitions. And so we have a little soundbite from Garen Thomas uh, right here
3: but is, is this the first year when we could actually call you a genuine contender rather than Froomey's reliable loyal wingman hmm. I guess so i've uh, like i say i 'm certainly feeling in uh in good shape and the best I have been coming here so uh yeah it, we'll just see how it hap- see what happens really I think the first week is uh you know a lock and a lock can go right or go wrong so uh through that again to the Alps and uh, see where we're at. You, you skipped over the cobbles a few. The you know, year that through me crashed out, mm. chucking it down with rain. You, you you played a blinder on the cobbles. You, you actually like all the all the. I mean, You, yeah, you, I you look like the wreck of the Hesperus, but the time you finish with all the mud on your face. But you, you love all that, don't you? Yeah, I do like that type of racing. The classics, obviously, really enjoy them. And uh, you know, back in 2010 as well, was, was second on that stage yeah, yes. behind uh, Tour. So uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, you know, you still need a bit of luck, but, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It's just, uh, I love that style of racing.
4: Karen, what's the mood of the team after all this room business has been closed officially?
3: Yeah, it's good to finally, uh, well, hopefully, myself anyway, not get asked about it anymore. <laughs> that's, that's a positive. And, uh, but to be honest, even before it, it was kind of, it might sound hard to believe, but it wasn't affecting me. I just cracked on with my, you know, um, training and and did everything to be in the best shape coming here. And yeah, left that obviously to, you know, everything, everyone else. So, uh, but yeah, everyone's feeling good and, um, you know, we, we've got a great team here, I think, uh, and morale's high and yeah, obviously that news as well is, uh, obviously a, a, a great boost. All right, Spencer, we've talked about what happened
0: in today's stage. We got to, I got to talk about what we're all looking forward to, which is Sunday Stage. So Sunday Stage, uh, I believe, goes from Arras to Roubaix, correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yep, and it'll have 15 cobblestone sectors along the way. It's a pretty, pretty short one as far as these go. It's 156 and a half kilometers, but uh, those cobblestones are going to make it feel quite long, I think.
0: Yeah, and again, it's not um, sort of the Belgian cobblestones. It's not the training wheels, cobblestones. It's the real deal stuff. It's a few, um, pretty famous sectors and it's going to cause havoc that long of that long. And that many sectors is definitely going to cause havoc. And the whole thing brings up the question that, you know, we've had, uh, before in pro cycling, which is should pave be included in grand tours. I think a lot of our readership has said that they think it should, it makes it very interesting, makes it very exciting, but should this many and this degree of difficulty of cobblestones be included in Grand Tours? You know, I guess the argument for no is that these Grand Tour favorites spend all year preparing for the Tour de France. Their teams spend millions and millions of dollars assembling um, rosters of riders, training them, taking them to places like Tenerife. Um, getting them ready for the mountains and the time trials and the stages that are going to be decisive. And all of that work can be completely thrown away by, like, one errant slip on the cobblestones. Yeah,
1: it's tough when you have to actually, like, ride your bike and be technically (laughs) proficient and, uh, you know, have some skills and have some luck and be able to, like, you know, ride competently in a fast bunch. Mika Lando was complaining about how fast these stages were earlier this week. He was, like, saying something about how, oh, I had to put a 54-tooth chainring on to keep up with the field, and maybe we should limit the size of our gears so we don't go over 70 kph. Come on, man, like... This is a race. Go as fast as you can. This is racing. It not is. Gonna have a, it's not gonna have a speed limiter on these guys. Give me a break. That's they need to be able to handle any terrain.
0: It is, but I do think there is the lottery element that comes out of it, which is you know, no matter how good you are on the cobblestones, like just bad luck happens. People crash in front of you. Stuff happens, and stuff can be unavoidable. And so it does bring into certain degree luck, which you know makes it fun to gamble on, but also makes it, I would imagine hell to try and, you know, build your ambitions around, just knowing that, you know, lightning could strike at any point, and there you are. Yeah, well, I'm not saying it's easy or fun for the GC guys, but
1: the fact of the matter is there's always this element of luck and crashing. I mean, look at, just ask Yosiba Balaki, who basically ended his career with a rolled tubular on that Alpine descent or whatever it was back in the day, the Tour de France. I mean, it can happen in, in the, the most pristine, smooth pavement through the Alps or Pyrenees or anywhere else. You, you can have these crashes. It's just a matter of, you know. Yeah,
0: you can, but I just feel you like- You make your own luck, too. Pave increases the um, chances for something like that happen happening. And you're right. You do make your own luck because uh, we've seen a number of riders- recon the cobblestones this year, uh, back in April and May, there were all these stories going around about like Nairo Quintana and Mika Landa. I believe Landa participated in Dwarves Dwarf Landeren. um, Roman Bardet, he did a recon. It sounds like the, uh, Adam Yates did several recons of the stage. And then, um, uh, Val Verde, did, uh, was it Dwarves or was it E3? Yeah, he did really well. Yeah, he wasn't
1: messing around. No, that to no one's surprised. He's on he the attack.
0: Fine. Yeah, he did fine. Bless, <laughs> Bless his heart. Bless um, let's check in with uh, Pashi Vila. He is the coach and team director, one of the directors at Bora Hansgroa. And he and Peter Sagan did some recon of the cobblestone stages. And, you know, Pashi said it's the real deal. So let's get his take on what the writer's going to face.
4: Because describe that stage on Sunday, uh, that's like a real Paris-Roubaix stage.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So
6: when we were doing the recon uh, just uh, three days before uh, Paris-Roubaix, it was basically the same. <laughs> we just uh, because a lot of uh, so it's, if I'm right, it's 29 cases of Roubaix, yeah. so uh, Paris-Roubaix is 55, so it's uh, more than half of Paris-Roubaix. Uh, yeah, and uh, in the real Roubaix. You know, mm-hmm. it's not that it's okay, yeah, those. Uh, half of uh, one or two stars pavé, they're like real uh, pavé sectors, and yeah, it will be challenging for the GC guys.
4: Is it uh, almost uh, cruel to have these little Colombians and little uh, GC riders have to ride such a demanding stage like that?
6: Well, yeah, it's for sure it's not easy for them, and I mean, uh, I think it's it's uh, it's interesting for, 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 you know, for the spectators to see that stage and see those guys fighting with the gobbles uh, On the other hand, I mean, it's, it's for them it could be risky, and, and I hope uh, all the GC riders, uh get through it and, and everybody's uh, safe at Roubaix. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I understand the organization they wanna, you know, to, to put, I mean, like this short stage of 65 I I mean, I, I think they're trying to, to, to make the race more interesting and that's good for everybody.
4: You could imagine uh, there be, be a big fight between Saga and Grand Vague Abdelazzo, Zeb Van Mark, all these big guns will be really just trying to win that stage. But it's a prestige, prestige stage.
6: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. I think. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 like a Roubaix, It's like a second chance for Roubaix for a lot of them. And yeah, it's a stage in the tour with uh, which is a big win. And yeah, I'm pretty sure will will be a nice a nice, uh, a nice uh, stage. Hopefully, it will be just dry because if it's wet, then it will be just too risky for the GC guys. So let's hope for a good weather, a nice spectacle, and, and probably yeah, those names uh, in front waiting for the
0: win. All
4: right, thanks, Bachi.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's it. That's the stage to watch, right? We basically, this whole first week of the Tour de France has just been little bites, little hors d'oeuvres, but it's all leading up to this stage nine. Um, my guess is we're gonna see some pretty big time gaps come out of it. Maybe not um, huge game-changing gaps in the GC, but I think we're gonna find a couple riders kind of taken off the board.
1: My prediction, at least one of these GC favorites is out of the race after stage nine.
0: As in, like, dropping out? Totally out. Totally out. Crashing out. How many do you think are going to be, I guess, kind of write-offs for the GC? I could see, like, upwards of three writers being total write-offs. Yeah, I'd say that's that's possible. I'd say that's very possible. You, know, you lose five minutes, lose seven minutes, kind mm-hmm. of like the no coming back yeah, from that. Yeah.
1: You don't make that back on Chris Froome or somebody. Yeah. Or, or Chris Froome doesn't make it back on somebody.
0: Well, and then, like I said, maybe this whole Froome thing is yeah. a big ruse. Hashtag to,
1: free Garrett To get Garrett yeah. Thomas. Join the movement, people. We're going to make some T-shirts. Uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, some patches or coffee mugs. Like an NPR thing.
0: Yeah, maybe Ra- a t- Raise
1: money for our little
0: radio program. A tote bag that says free Garrett Thomas on it. Yeah. I think our, our handful of Welsh fans would like that because hmm. the feedback that I did get that was fairly positive... Um, Came from people with um, unpronounceable Welsh last names. Yeah, a
1: lot of consonants. Yeah. Yeah, Some weird vowels thrown around in strange places.
0: Hey, man, national pride. I give them them all the credit. I like it.
1: Yeah, I like it.
0: Well, we're going to check in after stage nine. So the next episode will be coming into your ear holes. That would be Monday. Um, I will be at the Tour de France by that point, Spencer. You're, jet-lagged. Yeah, you'll still be here. I'll be pretty jet-lagged. Yep, chained to my desk. So uh, stay tuned for that, and it'll probably be some good insight from the people on the ground. Because Always. we'll have like, what, nine Buffalo Grill meals in us by that point.
1: Yeah, get really get things moving down there.
0: <laughs> well, we'd love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at webletters at pocketoutdoormedia.com. We'll also post links to the stories we talked about today on com. Subscribe to the Vela News podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And while you're there, please leave us a comment and a rating. Become a fan of Vela News on Facebook at facebook.com slash News magazine and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash the podcast is produced by villainous which is owned by Pocket Outdoor Media. The thoughts and opinions expressed on the villainous podcast are those of the individual. And as always, we leave you with the Brooklyn Boogaloo Blowout playing the Bernard pretty classic soul drums.